Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have a big show for you coming up later because that sports writer Adam Schinder previews this weekend's high school football semifinal playoff games. And Gazette horse racing writer Mike McAdam previews this weekend's Breeders' Cup. My first guest spent 20 years as the head coach of the UAlbany men's basketball program. Last week, he was named the general manager and head coach of the Albany Patroons. Please welcome back to the podcast, Will Brown. Will, welcome back and uh, congratulations on the new gig. I appreciate it, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, to talk about how did this all come about? You know, it's uh, it's crazy. Um, you know, Rocco Rashudo uh, with the Patroons organization, um, who I had met years ago. He used to work with uh, the team tennis, and uh, he reached out to me, shot me a text, and just said, uh, you know, hey, coach, any chance you're still in the in the area, um, and you have a few minutes to talk. So I just text him back, yes and yes, and five minutes later, he called me, and he said, said, hey, we're, li- we're looking for a coach for the Albany Patroons. Would you have any interest? And if not, uh, could you help us with the process? And, you know, I told him, you know, hey, uh, you know, not sure I would have any interest at this point in time, but I would definitely help you, um, you know, give me uh a couple of days and I'll give you a call back and you know he asked for the opportunity just to sit down uh you know with me so I sat down with him and uh you know Mike Quartz the GM of the Washington Armory and also the president of the Patroons and you know what I expected to be a 30-minute conversation turned into a four-hour conversation and you know when I left that day I just said you know I'll be in touch and you know like a day or two later you know Rocco left a bag of Patroon's uh, goods on my uh, front doorstep and you know I I read through it and uh, even though I knew the history of the Patroons and the coaches that, uh, you know, walked the sidelines years ago from Phil Jackson and George Carl and Bill Musselman and, you know, Terry Stotts was an assistant and, you know, the players, uh, Mario Willie, Vince Askew and guys like that. And my good friend, Don Bassett, uh, was an assistant for George Carl while Terry Stotts was an assistant as well. So in all my years with Don Bassett, I heard all the Patroons stories. Uh, you know, as well. But I, I had kind of made a commitment um, to making sure that I was able to see as many of my son's games this year. He's a redshirt freshman out at SUNY Fredonia. You know, I wanted, I thought this would be the best time, if there was ever a good time uh, in this business, for me to have the opportunity, you know, to see him play. And I was looking at some stuff and uh, in the middle of some things uh, at the professional level, meaning, you know, the NBA. I was looking to do some scouting in the NBA, hopefully regional and not national, because again, I wanted to see my son play. So, you know, this was about a 
two to three week process and uh you know the more that i thought about it the more research that i did on the pbl the league that the patroons will be playing in which is which now has 50 teams in it um you know i thought hey maybe this is a good opportunity and a possibility it's a different game a different level training camp doesn't start till february the season is march till may um you know let me just learn some more and talk to Mike and Rocco a little bit more and, uh, you know, really think about this. Talk to my wife, of course, and uh, sort of make a long story short, uh, you know, my wife was encouraging me to do it uh, for the last two months. I had been driving up and down, uh, you know, the New York State Thruway and, you know, all over the north northeast watching college practices college coaches that asked me to, you know, come into their gyms and watch their teams and also, you know, talk to the coaching staffs and just basically what did I see? What did I like? What do I think they could do a little bit different? And, you know, I just got that itch. I'm like, I thought it would be easy to take a year off and watch my son play, uh, you know, but just being in gyms, it was like, you know, just got that itch. And my wife said, you belong in a gym. You need, you need to do it. You know, as long as it's something that you think you would enjoy, uh, you need to do it. Yeah. You know, get back in the, get back in that gym and, you know, and, uh, so I said, Hey, Mike Rocco, this is what I need to do to do it. I need the general manager title. I need to have control of basketball operations and, uh, you know, obviously we're a team, we're doing this together, but there's certain things that are important to me for me to do it. Um, you know, I need to manage the salary cap. Uh, you know, I need to be able to waive players and add players when, when I feel needed. Um, you know, this is what I need for a coaching staff and, you know, uh, a player development guy. And, uh, you know, I went down, uh, I went down everything, uh, that I thought was needed for this, uh, organization to be successful where it is now and more importantly where the tbl is now because the last time the patroons played there were about 10 teams in the tbl the tbl is under new uh, ownership now there's 50 teams coast to coast a um, lot more competitive and you know if i was going to do it I was going to be all in, and I want us to be in a position where we can win and consistently win and compete for a TBL championship. So Mike, Rocco, owner Ben Fernandez uh, have all been great. I'm amazed that, you know, this community, just in a short period of time, you know, uh, how many people have reached out to me or are excited. People are already buying season tickets, so we really haven't even done anything with season tickets up to this point. But, you know, people are buying them already. And, uh, you know, I just, I've just i been in the community for a long time, and my goal with this team is to make this the community's team, uh, family-friendly, affordable, so get people in the armory, but more importantly, make sure we do what we can to get them back. And that has to do with the affordability, family-friendly, and also the product on the floor. Do you think, you, because you've been here for 20 years with the Albany and, and you're well-known, that helps bring some legitimacy to the Patroons? I, I, I think for sure uh, that it helps because I, I think there's a lot of people out there um, 
that would question why I would do this. Um, so obviously for me to do this, uh, I needed to make sure that there was going to be, you know, tremendous support from the organization and resources to make sure that, you know, we can put ourselves in a position to win, that we can put a good product on the floor that the community would want to embrace. And, you know, I, I, I think you mentioned, you know, legitimacy. Somebody else I did an interview uh, with mentioned stability, credibility, and legitimacy all in the, the same sentence. So, you know, um, again, I'm looking back, and I mentioned this in my talks with Mike and Rocco, I'm looking back to um, how successful they were when they were in the CBA. Now, this is a different animal now. The CBA at one time was the feeder system to the NBA for both coaches and players. You know, the TBL is not the CBA. Um, you know, the G League is the feeder system to the NBA uh, right now. But I do know that Ben Fernandez uh, is excited about, um, you know, my interest uh, and my commitment and I'm excited about his and I do think that uh, you know the commitment uh, is there where can we take the patroons you know that's a great question that's one that uh, you know I'm interested in finding out for sure but you know like I said when they put a proposal in front of me they they showed me hey this is what we can do my response to them when I got uh, to a point where I thought this was something uh, I wanted to do, I'm like, this is what I need. And everything was yes, yes, yes. Um, and that left uh, an impression on me. They made it, they made it very difficult for me. So I, I appreciate that for them, uh, for them doing that. Um, and I was surprised at how committed they were, but now the job is to educate this community on the TBL, uh, bring back, you know, the history uh, of the Patroons, get people in the front door um, of the armory. It's a, it's a great facility, and when there's people in it, it's loud, and it's a difficult facility for an opponent to play in. But there is an educational component. You know, we have to, hey, the Patroons are back. This is where we're playing. We're in the TBL. This is what the TBL is about. And I'm pretty confident with the commitment that the organization is making that I'll be able to get some talented players uh, on this roster. And the other thing, it's not just about me in regards to the familiarity of the staff. Um, you know, hopefully we can make some type of an announcement around December 1st. That's my target date. But it's important to me to have a strong local presence on my coaching staff because I think that'll open up some eyes in the community and also want people to come down and support the Patroons as well. Yes, Don Bassett is going to be a special assistant to the head coach and advisor. He has a history with the Patroons and a very successful history in this area, and he and I have worked together for a very long time, but there's some other people that um, you know we're excited about that uh, want to be a part of the coaching staff and want to be involved and really help the Patroons thrive uh, as we move forward. Yeah. I'll share a CBA story because I, back when I was working at the York Daily Record uh, back in the uh, mid to late 80s, I actually covered a few Lancaster Lightning games 
over across the river in Lancaster. And I remember one game, the Patroons were there, and Phil Jackson got tossed from the basketball game. <laughs> well, I'm going to do my best not to get tossed from any games. I can, I can promise you that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, again, when I, while um, I started yesterday, yesterday was my, was my first day. But when I decided to do this, the press conference was last Wednesday. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all I was doing was calling agents and calling college coaches. And just to, you know, obviously to recruit players, but I was selling the history and tradition of the Patroons. I don't care when it was from, how long ago it was. And, uh, you know, you just mentioned Phil Jackson. And when you mentioned Phil Jackson to college coaches, obviously they know who he is. But uh, when you mention it to players, they're like, wow, Phil Jackson. And, and I went right down the list from Jackson to Carl to Musselman to Stotts to Scotty Brooks to Rick Carlisle, Mario Ellie, Vince Askew. Uh, you know, so again, and I'm going to continue to do that. You know, I, I think the older crowd in this area, you know, know those people. I think we have to educate the younger crowd, and, and that's fine. That's part of my job, and especially the players. Uh, but the agents are well aware. Um, you know, and, and like I said, uh, you know, agents are concerned about, you know, how much money can my player make? Uh, the more money the player makes, the more money the agent makes. Um, but I, I, I do think we're going to be fine uh, in that regard of what we can offer a player. And, you know, uh, I think it's going to be a situation where agents uh, and college coaches are going to want to send their players and college coaches are going to want to send their former players. Yeah. You know, and then the player development piece, you know, once we get these guys, you know, we have to continue to develop them and hopefully the Patroons, it could be a situation where it can, they, these guys can build their resume and it can catapult them to that next job. Every kid wants to play in the NBA, if not the NBA, the G League or you know, overseas. And, you know, Donnie Bassett's already been on the phone with George Carl, Kobe Carl. You know, his son is now the head coach of the Delaware Blue Coats, uh, which is the Philadelphia 76ers G League affiliate. And, uh, you know, Kobe told Donnie, um, you know, hey, these guys that we don't keep with the blue coats going to give them, uh, you know, going to give you their phone number, you know, all their pertinent information. And I'm going to try to help you get some of these guys. So we've already got the ball rolling in that regard. And we're going to shoot for the stars and see what happens. Yeah. Now, in effect, I mean, when you were you know, recruiting players for you all, but you were really the de facto general manager of, of that. So, I mean, bringing that experience, how much does that help uh, to the, for the Patroons? Oh, it, it helps for sure. Uh, it doesn't matter what level you're talking about, uh, you know, from college on up, you know, the recruiting piece is, uh, you know, it's crucial. And, you know, it's just a little bit different, you know, as a GM now, uh, you know, you're dealing with um, – you know, agents and, and they have a vested, uh, you know, interest in trying to get that best deal. You know, I think at the college level, you deal with 
different levels, as I like to say, at the Division One level, there's a low major, mid major, a high major. But when you're dealing with, you know, high school coaches in particular, you know, they really want uh, their players to be taken care of. They want to know that a coaching staff is going to look after them. Parents want to know that you're going to help them grow and develop as as people, students, you know, and players. You know, now at the pro level, it, it's all about what can you do for you know our player to uh help him build that resume and get a better job you know so a little bit different uh you know in that regard um you're not dealing with 18 and 19 year olds in some cases you're going to be dealing with 30 and 31 year olds you know so uh it's going to be different uh you know how you handle the individuals that you're coaching, uh, but ultimately uh, it's about team success. With team success, these guys will have individual success. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on player development, and again, you know, we want to help these guys uh, achieve their goals, dreams, and they all want to play at the highest level. And it's our job to get them that exposure. Yeah, uh, Will Brown joining us here on the Parting Shots podcast. Uh, yeah, all coaches like to go out on their own terms. Uh, unfortunately, you didn't get that chance at you all. But he, uh, what, when the when the end came, what was what was your feeling? I mean, how upset were you? How hurt were you? Yeah, you know, I haven't talked about this very much, so I'll keep this uh, short and sweet. Uh, really enjoyed my time at Albany. Uh, Lee McElroy was the greatest athletic director to work for, cared about the student-athletes, cared about the coaches. He and the president at the time, Karen Hitchcock, gave me a wonderful opportunity to build a Division One program. We enjoyed unbelievable uh, success. I, I had one coach in the America East Conference tell me if I went to the NCAA tournament once, I'd have a lifetime contract. But I also had a very successful college coach, um, who's not in the college game right now, but is in the pro game. I heard him say once, you should never stay at a college job more than five years because athletic directors and presidents uh, turn over so much. The only reason to stay more than five years is if you're in a situation where you make so you made so much money that you can retire if you ever get fired or let go, uh, or if they fire you or let you go, you have enough money left on your contract where you can retire. Um, unfortunately, in this situation, one individual was you know, allowed to make the call and, and that's fine. Uh, you know, it's the world we live in. Um, but, uh, my wife and I love the area. We developed so many relationships. You know, my, my press conference the other day, the introductory press conference, I had several people in uh, higher level administration at the university show up at the press conference. So, you know, uh, unbelievable relationships and, uh, you know, very disappointed uh, how it ended, uh, Ken, to be honest with you. I'm not going to hide that, but um, it's all about charging forward and uh, and moving forward and uh, the next chapter, uh, which, which I'm excited about. How difficult was it last year with coaching through the pandemic? Because, you know, you, sometimes you had guys going protocol and it's just, and it had to be just a, really a, just a weird season to coach. Yeah, you know what? It, it, it was very, very difficult. I actually thought last year, um, if we had, with the roster that we had, if there was any normalcy, 
um, where like in a normal year, if we were able to have summer workouts, full fall workouts uh, with the talent that we brought in, we would have had a chance to compete for the America East Championship. I really felt that way. I had a couple of guys, new guys coming off surgeries that didn't have the opportunity really to rehab properly because while they were home, rehab facilities were shut down. We were limited with what we can do uh, at Albany. And then we really didn't start practice, like real practice, till after Thanksgiving. So it was just an odd year for um you know, for us, I think Maine uh, decided to shut down and not play. I think at some point in December, they shut the program down. So of the teams that that played, um, you know, we really we played the least amount of games uh, in the league. Um, and for instance, I was at UMass uh, a little about two weeks ago. One of my former players, C.J. Kelly, transferred there, and one of my former assistants uh, and players, Lucius Jordan, is an assistant there. And I went and watched, and C.J.'s 100% healthy now. He's going elbows above the rim and grabbing rebounds. He's dunking the ball. He played at like 70% last year because he had major reconstructive surgery on his knee, ACL, MCL, PCL. And so he wasn't the athlete that he was accustomed to being. And he still was our leading scorer. You know, he'll probably average double digits for UMass this year. He's, he's that talented and that good. But, I, I, you know, the trainer at Albany, Jay Geiger, who was a really good friend of mine, and, and our trainer for basketball, John Silak, did a, they just did a wonderful job in very difficult circumstances. And, uh, you know, I was proud of how the players handled it because – you know, there were so many shutdowns, there were positive uh, contact tracing, you know, there were, uh, we were shut down because other athletes tested positive. It was just, just different, something that uh, nobody prepares you for, you know, as a coach. So you just make the most of it. We were fortunate that we were able to play uh, at all, um, you know. Hopefully that's behind us. I, I, I still think you have to be cautious and uh, just make sure you're very careful and you do everything you can to, you know, uh, you know me. I'm, you know, uh, I'm vaccinated. I also had the, you know, the antibody infusion. Uh, Going to get the booster shot um, in the next 24 to 48. You know, so I'm doing everything I can to ensure health and safety, not only for me and my family, but people that I'm around. So, you know, I'm hoping that there's a booster for kids, uh, you know, 11 and under. I don't know where that's at. I heard it's close. Um, and I just think we all need to be careful because it's not completely behind us. But I think we're heading in the right direction. Final question, and this might be the toughest question of them all. Uh -oh. pick, pick one highlight of your 20 years at UAlbany. You know, I, uh, I think getting the job was a highlight. The five NCAA tournaments was a highlight. But uh, I, I think, especially because of the circumstances involved, it had to be our, our fifth NCAA tournament appearance where Peter Hooley 
hit that shot in the American East Conference Tournament Championship in the SEFQ Arena to send us to the NCAA Tournament. It was the third year in a row we went, but the reason why it was the highlight was because Peter left the team for about a two-week period in the middle of the season. Unfortunately, his mother had a relapse, his mother Sue, and with colon cancer. And I'll never forget riding back from a recruiting trip. I was in Connecticut and I was about an hour outside of Albany and I got a number and I saw it was Jeff Hooley and I took a deep breath and I'm thinking this can't be good. And uh, Jeff said, you know, hey coach, I'm calling you. Peter doesn't know right now. Sue uh, had a relapse. The doctor said it's not good. She's got maybe a maybe if we're lucky, a week or two left to live. It just happened really quickly. And um, I'm going to call Peter now. And I'm like, you know, hey, I said, I'm, uh, I'm an hour away. I'm going to I'm going to drive right to, uh, you know, his apartment on campus. I'm going to call my wife, let her know to make her aware. And then I'm going to call Sam and Mike Rowley, you know, two Aussies who lived with him to make sure that they watched him closely and that they didn't let him leave. And then I would call Peter as well. You know, so that's where I went. I told Peter, Go home. I don't care if you come back this semester. We'll make arrangements to make sure that you finish your schooling, your degree. Go be with dad, sister, or mom. And, uh, you know, he, mom made him promise. He got to spend a good three to four days where mom was able to communicate with him. And he spent those days by her bedside. They had some great talks. But Mom made him promise that he was going to come back immediately and get his degree, and uh, I wasn't expecting that to happen, but Peter, you know, came back, and, uh, you know, I felt great for Peter, his family, and I firmly believe that Mom caught that ball, and divine intervention, Mom caught that ball, threw it through the hoop, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. That was just, uh, I hope I never have to experience, you know, that as a coach again, as far as a player losing a parent. Um, but uh, I do hope I experience uh, somebody hitting a buzzer beater to help us win a championship. Uh, but, uh, again, how Peter handled it was unbelievable and how his teammates – and you know what? Our fans and our community rallied around him. And I don't know, Ken. That was an awful game. We played horrible. And Stony Brook was good. We were losing for, you know, 39 minutes and uh, 50 seconds of that game. We couldn't make a shot, but we just hung around and hung around and showed tremendous resolve and resiliency and uh, just found a way. But that just, uh, you know, I get emotional just talking about it. It seems like it was yesterday, but, you know, that was a highlight of, uh, you know, a bunch of highlights that we were able to enjoy during my tenure at, uh, at Albany. So that's just one for you. All right. Well, I appreciate a few minutes talking, and uh, good luck, and we'll definitely reach out to you once we get closer to the season. 
I appreciate it. I appreciate your interest in having me on, and you know, hopefully, we can do some protrude stuff down the road. That sounds good. We'll, we'll do that. Well, that's the promise. Okay. Sounds good. Have a good one. You too. That's Will Brown. Coming up, we'll talk high school football with Gazette sports writer Adam Schinder. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast. It's been a trying year for parents. They've been confronted with countless challenges and have always risen to the occasion. If it isn't too much to ask, the 370,000 high school student athletes in New York have one last request. Please set an example. Disorderly fan conduct at high school athletic events is on the rise. It increasingly involves parents. There's no question that parents are passionate. There's no question they care about their children. But at a time when we're all wound a little more tightly than usual, it's worth remembering this about New York high school sports. Always be a good example. Stop unruly fan behavior before it starts. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hello, this is Keith Griffin, our head baseball coach of the Amsterdam Mohawks of the Perfect Game Collegiate Baseball League. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The high school football playoff season got underway, at least in Class C last week, and now the rest of the classes will get underway on Friday with semifinal action, and Adam Schinder's here to uh, preview that. And Adam, welcome back. It's two more weeks left in this uh, football season that has just flown by. It's crazy. Let's look at Class AA. It's uh, Shed and Shaker on uh, Friday night, and of course, CBA and Gilliland's the other game. Yeah, Class AA, uh, when CBA beat Shenandoah last week, ended up in the dreaded uh, three-way tie to discru- to figure out the last three seeds. Ends up with Gilliland getting the two, uh, CBA getting the three, Shen getting the four. Uh, in Class AA, everything's a rematch at this point. Uh, Shaker beat Shenandoah, pretty good game. Shaker pulled away late in the in the regular season. Gildolin got a big win over CBA uh, that kind of helped them late in the regular season and really helped them get up to that point. Gildolin was just this close against uh, Shaker. They were closer. They and CBA were closer than anyone all year. Yeah. Well, Shaker, of course, has been. They were at the Fall uh, Two uh, Championship against uh, Gildolin last year. Yeah. Lost that. Uh, Shaker, what do they have to do to, to get over that hump? Yeah, Shaker plays in a lot of close games. It's just kind of the way it seems they work. They play in close games against these double-A teams. These double-A teams are all very, very close to each other. So at this point, Shaker, it's either try and put a game away early or... Uh, they win games late, and they do it very, very well. So they just have to continue doing what they've done all season. Of course, Shen had some issues early in the season with not scoring in the first half and having to, to rally in the second half. That can't work in this game. Yeah, that's exactly what happened in the first time against Shaker. They fell behind a little bit. Uh, they went, you know, first three, four weeks of the season without scoring a first half touchdown. Uh, they've really come on later in the season. Uh, gave one away a little bit against CBA last week. Uh, CBA's uh, sophomore kind of backup Wildcat quarterback Donald Jones made a couple of really wacky plays that uh, helped the brothers pull that one out in the second half. But Shen's a team, when they're on their game, they're as good as anyone. They don't really have one single star. Their quarterback, Mason Courtney, is playing very, very good football recently, though. What about the cba Gilderland matchup? Yeah, it's a t- it was a tight win for Gilderland a few weeks back. CBA is a team that 
defensively they're incredibly solid. They are they have, they are huge up front. Uh, they've got a 370 pound defensive tackle in Jason Rogers who nice. can who can move for his size. A couple of big 6'5", 240 pound ends. Uh, Jalen Riggins, their uh, their linebacker, is, is a terrific player. So is Brendan Simic. His is coming in the middle. Offensively, against the top teams, they've been a bit inconsistent. Uh, Gilderland's a team that's done a really good job rebuilding uh, after they lost a lot of seniors that led them to that championship last year, uh, but their real key playmakers, uh, Devin McLean and Marcus McLean, are back, and they've made a ton of huge plays for them. So who gets to the championship for the Super Bowl next week? Uh, I think we're gonna get. Uh, I think we're gonna get a rematch. I think it's Shaker and Gilderland. Uh, I do. I think I wouldn't be surprised if it's any combination. But I think we see the home teams win Friday night. Class A, uh, the teams uh, playing Friday night. LaSalle goes to uh, Burn Hills, Boston Lake, and Queensbury's at Able Park. That was a crazy finish in Class A. Uh, Amsterdam ends up. Yeah, be on the outside looking. Yeah, in. It, it's very, very. You, you feel for Amsterdam. They're a team that has the second best overall record in Class A. They're six and one. Queensbury is a team that won three games during the regular season. It just so happened that they won three games in their division, and no one else other than Burn Hills did. Uh, so a really tough quarter points tiebreaker that for Amsterdam against LaSalle and Averill Park basically came down to Amsterdam trailing after the second and third quarters to LaSalle, and even more importantly. They trailed after the first quarter against Columbia, and that was the only time that any of those three teams dropped a full quarter point against a division opponent that wasn't one of the other teams. So how do you see this LaSalle-Burn Hills matchup? Yeah, this was really, really close uh, last time out. Burn Hills won on a, on a field goal by their kicker, Michael Spatoni, who is probably the best kicker uh, in the section, either Hammer or Shen's Dan, Dan Morris. LaSalle's an incredibly talented team that has played in a ton of really, really close games. They played three one-point games in the last month of the season because they played Queensbury, April Park, and Amsterdam, all one-point games. They won two of them. So who do we see uh, in the championship? Do we see an all-Spartans uh, Super Bowl? Or? Uh, I, I think this is a matchup of division winners. Uh, Burnhills Burnhills has really taken care of business. LaSalle was the team that, uh, that pushed them the most, uh, but Burnhills in second matchups uh, under Matt Shell always seems to do very, very well. Averill Park and Queensbury was a game we saw earlier in the season. Averill Park won it uh, pretty handily. They came back after an early deficit. Queensbury is always a tricky team. They've actually uh, tossed in a few spread concepts along with that packed-in double wing. But they're going to run the ball if you can if you can contain them. It's the double wing versus the triple option. So uh, one thing is, unless that game has a ton of points, it might be done in an hour and forty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Class B, we go to uh, one game Friday night, Gloversville at Shemont, and the other game Saturday with Ravina at Glens Falls. Let's start the gloversville Shalmont matchup. Yeah, rematch from the regular season. Shalmont won by three touchdowns. Uh, Shalmont rides uh, their running back, Sean Willis, a lot. Uh, the game, uh, the win against Ravina, uh, that basically earned them this home game. He carried the ball 44 times. Uh, not necessarily a vintage Shalmont team uh, as of the uh, the run of the early to mid-2010s, but still very, very good. And this is a team that has a number of guys who are on the team that, that won Class B back in the spring. Yeah. Do we see uh, Shalmont and Glens Falls battling for this? Yeah, Atlanta this beat? really feels like a Shalmont Glens Falls uh, rematch. Glens Falls has been the absolute class uh, of Class B all season long. Uh, again, they played Ravina in a completely meaningless game uh, last Saturday with those two teams already knowing they were playing this Saturday, and Glens Falls ran them over 42 to nothing. No one in Class B has been remotely in the league uh, of Glens Falls this year. The only game they lost was to Hoosick Falls Tamarack. And that was a week where, uh, by all accounts, they were just crushed by uh, by COVID quarantines. Yep. 
Go to Class C. Uh, Fonda Fultonville goes to Hoosick Falls, Tamarack, and Voorheesville to Scarletville. You had you saw Fonda last Friday against Waterville and a complete annihilation of Waterville. Yeah, that was a game where you know you go and you just you feel you feel for the Waterville kids who had gone out and won seven consecutive games, and they were just trapped in what seemed like an infinite time loop inside their own twenty yard line. Uh, in, uh, during the second quarter, forty points. Second quarter for Fonda, they scored sixty-eight points. Frankly, the more the more impressive uh, unit for Fonda was was its defense. Uh, they were just living in the backfield throughout the second quarter and really setting them up on short fields to set up some easy touchdowns. Uh, that was that was and that, that sets up a matchup rematch for for those two teams from earlier in the year. Hoosick Falls. One by 13, but it was a late touchdown that put it away. Really, really close match. And what about that Voorheesville Skyliville game? Yeah, Voorheesville the on, of, is the only uh, South Division team that was able to make it through. Uh, they haven't played Skyliville yet this year, but Skyliville has looked incredibly impressive. Uh, just basically cakewalked into the into the semifinals. They were up 54 to nothing at halftime against Taconic Hills. Uh, Skylerville has looked like the team to beat all year. They they've been in close games early on against Fonda and Hoosick Falls Tamarack. Uh, but this is a team that that is uh, really, really tuned to to look towards the final. Who, who, who you think Skylerville will play in the final? I'm going to go out on a limb. I think Fonda Fultonville gets there. I think that team felt disrespected. Uh, both by the talk that, that Waterfleet was getting going into that game and by the fact that they were bumped to the four seed basically by circumstance uh, and by having to forfeit a game to Cobleskill earlier in the year. When they play their game, they're playing really, really well. Uh, they, they've made a couple of changes at quarterback. They use Jackson Cusack a little bit more back there. Really dangerous, versatile team. And finally, we'll wrap things up with Class D, a doubleheader at Skylerville High School, uh, starting at 1 o'clock with Chatham against Greenwich, and followed at 5 by Warrensburg, Bolton, North Warren against Stillwater. Yeah, uh, Chatham and Greenwich, uh, you know, Chatham was the team that it really seemed like four of the five best teams uh, in, in Class C were probably in the, in the North Division. Uh, this year, or at least three of the four, because uh, you'd throw Cambridge in there. Chatham gets in as the as the number two seed out of the South. Greenwich hasn't put a foot wrong. They got pushed a little bit against Stillwater, a little bit against Warrensburg, but uh, the Witches really, really look good to get to the final. And then uh, Stillwater beat Warrensburg, North Warren Bolton earlier in the regular season. It's a team that really had to rebuild uh, after it won its uh, Section 2 championship a couple of years ago. They've come out this year. They look fantastic. Uh, that is one of the better games of the weekend. Looking at it, I think we get a, a Greenwich-Stillwater rematch, and that was the best Class D game of the year. Okay, appreciate a few minutes. We'll talk uh, championship uh, weekend next uh, next week on the podcast, and uh, look forward to that. Yes, yeah, Super Bowl's coming up. Very All exciting right. time. All right, that's Adam Schindler of the Gazette. Coming up, the Breeders' Cup uh, takes place this weekend, and Gazette horse racing writer Mike McGannon will join me to talk about that next here on the Parting Shots Podcast. The pro football season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette You Pick'em Football Contest. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets his or her name in the Daily Gazette on Thursday and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com slash football. The You Pick'em Football Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. 
Hi, this is Brett Samuels, White House reporter for The Hill and a former Daily Gazette staff writer. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The Breeders' Cup takes place this weekend, starts Friday, and here to break it down for us is the Gazette sports writer, Mike McGannon, who covers the horse racing at Saratoga. Uh, Mike, uh, big weekend coming up again, as usual, for the Breeders' Cup. Let's look at the numbers first of all. Number of horses, uh, how many have passed through Saratoga, and then 10 of the 14 uh, morning line favorites have won at the spot. Yeah, um... We got 169 horses entered in 14 races, five on Friday, which is considered Future Friday because all the five races are restricted to juveniles, two-year-olds. Um, of those 169, 16 are also eligible. Uh, 59 of them ran at Saratoga, which is not unusual, of course, because at that time of year, that's the best racing in North America. So if you have a good horse, you're going to be filtering through Saratoga at some point, probably. Um, 34 of those 59 won at Saratoga, and we had a couple double winners at Saratoga also. Um, the, the 10 of 14 favorites was the number that kind of jumped at me. Um, you know, and, and again, it's not unusual for a lot of the favorites to have run or, and or won at Saratoga, but that's like almost everybody. And the only ones where they aren't are like the typical, you know, like the turf and the Philly and Mare turf where... You know, the, those races draw big fields, and half the field are from Europe, and uh, so those horses are generally going to be favored. You know, they're going to be regarded a little more highly just because that's all they do over there, and that's where the, the best turf horses in the world are, and then they come over here for the Breeders' Cup and clean house on the Americans <laughs> for the most part. Not always, but for the most part. So I, I, I thought that was kind of cool. And so, I mean, if you were at Saratoga this summer there's a good chance you saw a really good horse who would eventually be a favorite at the at uh at the breeders cup at which which by the way is at del mar in san diego this year um 28 million dollars in purses over those uh 14 stakes races including six million dollars on the breeders cup classic which is you know kind of the you know the the standard bearer for the whole event on the weekend that'll be the last one on uh saturday post time 8 40 which p.m eastern time which we're not in love with of course <laughs> of course they're in love with that in california but uh, well, sure yeah um yeah, let's, you mentioned Future Friday, Mike, in, uh, in the five races that restricted the two-year-olds. Uh, two most, the most interesting ones are you know, spinaway winners Echo Zulu is heavily favored in the juvenile Phillies, and Jack Christopher, which sounds like a jockey name more than a horse name. Yeah, you know what? I never investigated <laughs> the, the origin of that name. We'll have to look into that. Um, well, he's favored in the juvenile for Chad Brown. Uh, broke his maiden first time out by eight and three-quarters lengths. Then the uh, champ. Uh, then the Champagne at Belmont, which, uh, you know, talk about those first two races. Um, it, it, he blew the doors off of the competition in those first two. Um, got a late start to his two-year-old season. Didn't run until August 28th, his debut, you know, first time out at Saratoga, and just blew everybody away and got a big buyer speed figure for that. Came back and got an even bigger number in win winning the grade one Champagne. So he's a logical... Um, nine to five morning line favorite for the uh, juvenile, um, just ahead of Corniche, who was also coming on late for uh, trainer Bob Baffert. Just won the uh, Grade One American Pharaoh at Santa Anita in October. Um, back to the juvenile fillies with Echo Zulu. She was one of the two-year-old stars of many, sired by Gunrunner, who was the horse of the horse of the year for Steve Asmussen a few years ago, and she represents his first crop along with a bunch of other 
gunrunner babies that just rocked the house at Saratoga, and most of them were trained by Steve Asmussen, who, who trained gunrunner, not coincidentally, and written by uh, Ricardo San, uh, Santana. So, um, and her story is, um, she broke her maiden at Saratoga, again impressively, just like Jack Christopher, and then came back and won the spin away on closing weekend um, by four lengths, and it actually got better in the grade one for Zed on that same card with the champagne that Jack Christopher uh, won on, um, winning that by seven and a quarter length. So they're, they're kind of running parallel paths here and um, clear, obvious favorites. The biggest favorite on the week, whole weekend is Gamine at three to five in the Philly Sprint. Um, so it's, it kind of tells you something that uh, Echo Zulu is four to five in the juvenile Phillies. Um, highly regarded and... and uh, you know, a legit favorite along with Jack Christopher, who, by the way, is trained trained by Chad Brown. Speaking of parallels, um, last time the Breeders' Cup was at Del Mar, Chad won the same race, the Juvenile, with Good Magic, who went on to finish second in the Kentucky Derby the next year um, and was a pretty good three-year-old as well. Um, kind of bombed out in the Travers, and then that was it for his career. But um, Chad Brown has won this race before with a good horse, Good Magic. Um, and he's coming back with another one. You know, the races that, a lot of the big races he's won have been turf races, and some of the ones that he's still chasing are the big classic dirt route races like the Kentucky Derby, which he hasn't won yet. So it'll be interesting to see what Jack Christopher does here, and if, if he wins, whether he can translate that to next year and be a you know a serious Kentucky Derby contender. You mentioned Chad Brown, the mechanical native, won 15 Breeders' Cup races, and as you mentioned, 13 on the turf. Turf, he has 13 horses entered uh, this weekend. Yeah, which is pretty typical for him. I think it's the, I was reading somewhere, it might be the fourth time that he's had 13 starters, which makes sense. I mean, um, you know, he always has, he's always loaded for bear in the turf divisions, and there's a bunch of turf races um, from the distances from five furlongs up to a mile and a half for the turf, which is the race, penultimate race before the um, the Classic on Saturday. Um Jack Christopher is, is the biggest favorite he has, and, and that's a dirt race. Um, he's won 15 races at the Breeders' Cup over the years, and 13 of them have been on turf, and, and this year he brings Jack Christopher in here as a dirt horse. But domestic spending is in, is in the turf, and uh, he got upset by a huge, um, huge, under, or huge long shot in the, um, or the Mr. D, which was at Arlington Park. Chad likes to take some of his big turf horses to Arlington, which sadly will, <laughs> is probably, that's the last we're going to see of it, and that's that's going to be the site of where the Chicago Bears eventually wind up playing in Chicago. Um, but uh, domestic spending is coming off a, uh, you know, a very close loss to a huge bomb long shot in, in the grade one race at, at Arlington that Chad shipped him to during the Saratoga meet. Um, so he, he looks um, like, you know, if he can rebound, he, maybe he can tussle with the, you know, with this huge number of very good European horses in the turf. Yeah. Uh, Saturday's undercard, what's uh, you're most interested in? Yeah, um, the undercard is really cool. Um, I already mentioned Gamine. Um, she's in the sprint, and she's so good that um, besides being a three to five favorite, um, the race only drew six horses. <laughs> this is for a million dollar race. Yeah. And and then one of them, Estilo Talentoso, uh, apparently scratched yesterday with a minor injury. So it's actually going to be only four horses run. This this race is going to basically 
boiled down to a public workout for uh, for Gamine. Um, so it'll be basically a non-betting race for me, um, where I'm just watching a you know this amazing star defending champion in that division uh, show her stuff. Uh, she won the ballerina at Saratoga convincingly um, and might win this one even more easily. So, uh, Gamine, uh, another one is Life is Good in the Dirt Mile. Very interesting story on this horse. Um, and he's another one of those Saratoga favorites uh, who won at Saratoga. This is the horse who won a couple races by open lengths in California in the springtime and after the second one which was the uh, San Felipe at Santa Anita on March 6th for Bob Baffert uh, as soon as the race was over he won by eight lengths I said okay Baffert's gonna win another triple crown with this horse and then the horse got hurt and was laid up for a long time and then the twist of that story <laughs> continued with Baffert getting in trouble with Medina Spirit in the Kentucky Derby for a drug positive out of that and one of the fallouts of that was um, Churchill Downs and Naira banning Baffert from uh, from running horses at their tracks. And, you know, of course, Baffert, that's turned into a whole legal tussle that's still very much up in the air. And we're still, I, I think his hearing before Naira to explain himself is scheduled for January. So this this isn't going anywhere soon. But in the meantime, life is good. This is a horse that his owners, Windstar Farm, that you know they want to win a Breeders' Cup race, maybe the Breeders' Cup Classic, if they can get him back from this injury in time and get him, you know, get a, one or two good prep races in him. So they're like, what do we do with this guy? So they sent him to Todd Pletcher, and came back off the layoff, and and he ran the Allen Jerkins, which is the big three-year-old sprint race on Travers Day every year, Grade One. Um, and he finished by a neck second to Jackie's Warrior, who's the front runner for the, um, you know, the Eclipse Award for top sprinter in North America. And he's obviously another one of those Saratoga winners who's a favorite at the Breeders' Cup this weekend in the sprint. And uh, um, after the race, Mike Smith rode uh, Life is Good in the Allen Jerkins, and it was kind of a questionable ride to the point where um, the short <laughs> daily racing form is overconfident handling, which means he sent life is good like way too fast early against Jackie's Warrior, who's just like the best sprinter in the in the country. And amazingly, of course he lost, but he actually re-rallied in the stretch and only got beat a neck when he could have folded the tent and lost by open length. So that for a loss, that was very encouraging, especially coming off that huge layoff. Comes back and just crushes the the Kelso, which is at the mile, same distance as uh, you know, the Breeders' Cup dirt mile of course so he's he's four to five in this race against some pretty good horses so he's very interesting just because he's really good and the backstory um you know with the, the baffert saga and, and going it's just like man it wears you out sometimes but yeah i mean still that kentucky derby's still up in the air isn't it it's still well the kentucky horse racing commission still hasn't ruled on whether they're going to disqualify the horse yet yeah. i mean we're still waiting on that and i i I think I was looking that up like a week or two ago, and it's still, there's no encouraging signs it's going to be resolved anytime yeah. soon. So it's almost like, let's forget about it until somebody makes a move here. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of background noise. Um, so Jackie's Warrior, I mentioned him a little bit, swept the Amsterdam and the Jerkins very convincingly. Um, well, the Jerkins, he won by a neck, of course, but the way life is, by beating a horse like life is good, um, uh, and then came back and, and crushed the gallant Bob at uh, at Parks. Um, so he's six to five in the sprint. 
again for uh, Asmussen, although not his regular rider, uh, Santana's not on Jackie's Warrior. Joel Rosario um, is the regular guy who's run, has ridden uh, Jackie's Warrior for most of his career. That's a horse that you really got to pay attention to because he's he's uh, outstanding. Um, and the, then what's the, the staff? The, the staff is the, is the fourth one that I was kind of targeting. And you know, from a betting standpoint, if you're looking at like horizontal stuff, like pick threes, pick fours, pick sixes, um, there's going to be a lot of single opportunities um, to keep your ticket, you know, at an economical level. Um, and it, it'll be tempting to look at the distaff as one of those singles because of the presence of Latruska, who's the eight to five favorite there, and, and legitimately so. But this race is a lot, little more wide open, I think, than people think it is. Um, other horses in there of note: Malathot, who of course was one of the stars of the Saratoga meet, um, was undefeated before she got beat ahead in the in the Coaching Club American Oaks, which was one of the most memorable races of the whole Saratoga meet. I mean, she just, she got tag teamed by two horses all the way around. They took turns like pressuring her and then she still almost won anyway. And then she came back and, and killed it in the Alabama, which she hasn't run since then. Um, she's in there. I think just being a three-year-old um, against some very good experienced horses, I, she's not going to be on top for me, I don't think. I'm still trying to figure this race out. I, I kind of like Chad Brown's Royal Flag a little bit at eight to one. Um, coming off a nice win in the Bell Dame at Belmont Park. Uh, loves the mile and an eighth distance. It, you know, has never finished off the board in five starts. Uh, three wins, and a second and a third. So I'm going to be taking a hard look at Royal Flag. Um, but I think, like, going back to what I was saying about those horizontal bets, uh, it'll be tempting. Um, and we love Latruska. I mean, she's won, let's see, uh, one, two, three, four, five straight. Um, Four of them grade ones, including the personal ensign at Saratoga. She's just, she's going to win the Eclipse Award for top older dirt female, no matter if she comes in last place in the Breeders' Cup. It doesn't matter. She's, her resume is so stacked and loaded that that's not going to be an issue in my mind. Um, but she, she's, she's in, a, has a pretty salty uh, competition in the distaff. So that, that'll be, that's kind of the four races that I targeted. And I'm kind of maybe a little more interested in watching them from an interest standpoint than, than actually wagering. <laughs> I mean, I think the distaff might be a decent wagering race if you like somebody to beat Matruska. Um, but of course, like Gamine, you know, <laughs> that's going to be just lean back in your couch and yeah. just watch this star, you know, do her thing. Finally, the uh, star-studded $6 million Breeders' Cup Classic. You know, on paper, Mike, it looks like Nick's go, Art Collector, Medina Spirit, and Hot Rod Charlie all want to run out, run out to the front. And, of course, the lurking behind them could be Essential Quality and Max Flair. Yeah, and there's nine horses in this field, and I kind of split them up into three groups. The four you just mentioned, who all on paper and, you know, their, their resume kind of screams that they're all going to want the lead. It's going to be interesting to see what happens going into that first turn. Um, Nick's go is breaking from the five, so he's going to, you know, he's going to have to shoot out of there. That's what he does anyway. The, the second group I identified are the second two that you mentioned, Essential Quality and Max Player, that might be a little more in a stalking situation. And then the last group are the three long-shot bombs, um, Tripoli, uh, 
still that old boy and where's where's my other one here express train 20 to 1 so i see three groups the, the four that are just going to be like the four horses of the apocalypse going into the first <laughs> turn the two essential quality max player kind of laying off them hoping that the pieces fall apart at the end and they can kind of pick them up and uh um i'll just go through some quick notes on each one and in that first group um hot rod charlie no problem with the distance um uh, you know, he performed very well in the um, Kentucky Derby, of course. Uh, essential quality. Uh, he's the three-year-old male champion right now, unless Hot Rod Charlie wins this race, um, having won the the uh, Belmont Stakes, Jim Dandy and Travers at Saratoga. Um, Nick's go. Uh, uh, he's 5-2, to two, and I hope I get 5-2 to two on him because he's going to be my pick. Um, I think he's just a freak. He won the the Whitney at Saratoga. He's won three straight by 18 and three quarters lengths. Um, Art Collector, my question on him, and he's he's strung together three very nice races, including the Alidar at Saratoga, um, but he's only run longer than a mile and an eighth once, and that was when he finished fourth in the Preakness to uh, Swiss Skydiver last year, mile and three sixteenths. So the mile and a quarter of the Classic, I think, is enough of a question mark on him that I'm not going to Probably won't use him on top. And then, of course, Medina Spear, which we already brought up, which uh, our, our buddy Bob Baffert has got in there. He, this horse is tough as nails. And um, uh, I'm just wondering if he can keep up with those other three, especially Nick's go. Um, so out of those four, um, you know, I, I like Nick's go. Uh, the two behind Max Player, I think, is more interesting to me than essential quality from a betting standpoint. Um you know, he, he's won at a mile and a quarter the last two. He won at Suburban at Belmont, and he won the Jockey Club Gold Cup at Saratoga, which is around two turns, which this race will be also at Del Mar. Um, and if I can get 8-1 to one on Max Player, I'm I'm going to use him on top somehow. Um, he's, he's more interesting to me at 8-1 to one than Essential Quality is at 3-1. to one. And we love Essential Quality. He won the Travers. He was the star. Problem is, he doesn't he, – he wins a lot, but he never wins by more than like a – for, you know fractions of a length it's always close he kind of does his business but he doesn't put any way buddy away he's, from a drama standpoint he's great but from a you know eye-opening dominating performance standpoint it just it's not there yeah. so um i love nick's go i'm probably going to use max player on top a little bit um but it's a very interesting classic i mean it could go a lot of different ways and it's going to really the, the you know, they they like to say you can't win the race at the start, but you can lose the race at the start. So we just hope everybody gets a clean start and gets gets a chance to, to show whatever they have on, on the day. Yeah. Well, Mike, appreciate a few minutes talking Breeders' Cup. Looking forward to it this weekend. Yeah, me too. Um, we're going to be loaded for bear. Um, like I said, uh, some of these races, like the Gamine race, are just skippable from a betting standpoint. But... You know, and it's almost like there's two classifications of races. One where it's such a heavy favorite where let's just sit back and watch, and the other ones that are like dartboards where you have no idea. <laughs> but I, I think the classic is a race that you can you can identify the horse that you really like and, and still get a halfway decent price on it. So that should be a fun race to watch, really fun race to watch, and also a decent betting race. All right, Mike, appreciate it. The Breeders' Cup starts Friday at Del Mar out in California. Appreciate Thanks, Thanks, thank you. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast out of the latest winners in the Daily Gazette's You Pick em Football and Auto Racing Contest in just a moment.
I've got a math question for you. When you add tolerance, subtract prejudice, and multiply efforts to treat one another with respect, what do you get? Less division. And school sports have it down to a science. Looking for an example of what can happen when we realize there's more that unites us than divides us? Look no further than high school sports in New York. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Harborside Hal Wafer. I'm the manager of the River Sportsbook at Rivers Casino and Resort. Now, it's always a winning bet to listen to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 8 winner in the Daily Gazette's You Pick em Football Contest is David West of Loudonville. David wins a $100 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, David. The VIP winner is Tom Cattuno of VL's Tavern and Grill. The Week 35 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is Hopsing Bushnell of Gansvort. Hopsing wins a $50 grocery gift card. Congratulations, Hopsing! The VIP winners are Anthony Manning of Colonial Car Wash and me. It's the second time in three weeks that I have won. My darts are hitting the dartboard correctly with my NASCAR picks. Just wish they would do that with my NFL selections. The previous week's winners, since we did not have them last week because of a computer glitch, were Brian Seeley of Gloversville and Jerry Peel of Frankenson's Body Works. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of each contest. The You Pick'em winner's name will appear in Thursday's Daily Gazette, while the Auto Raising Contest winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play in either contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the link for contests and promotions. Sunday is the final race of the NASCAR season. The NFL season is underway, and that means you can see my picks and where you can watch the games. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports to see my picks and the TV listings. I was 9-6 and six in Week 8, and I am 74-48 and 48 on the season. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Will Brown, Adam Schinder, and Mike McAdam for coming on the show. I'll have another podcast Thursday focusing on union hockey. I'll preview the Union games against Clarkson on Friday and St. Lawrence on Saturday. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and set your clocks back one hour this weekend.